Welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. My name is Hai Chen Bui. I'm a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I'm joined by... I am Anya Crittenton, a writer for Gay Star News. And I am Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. You know, Thursday is a great day of the week. And you know why? Because it's named after Thor. And today... Happy Thor's Day. Happy Thor's Day. Even though it's not Thanksgiving. But happy Thor's Day, anyway. And we're t- why am I bringing up Thor on this random Sunday in the middle of November? Because we're reviewing Thor Ragnarok, the new Marvel movie by Taika Waititi. He wrote it and directed it, along written by a bunch of other people as well. But his stamp is firmly on this movie, and we'll get into that. But it's the latest Marvel movie. It's the third Thor film, and it stars Chris Hemsworth. It stars Tom Hiddleston, Tessa Thompson... Uh, Jeff Goldblum, Kate Blanchett. Um, you've got Anthony Hopkins makes an appearance. Doctor Strange Carl makes Urban. an appearance. Sorry, Carl, Carl Urban. Urban. Carl Urban's in the film. Um, another Lord of the Rings uh, alumni. Alumni. Uh, who else is in the movie? Did you say Tom I mean, Hiddleston yet? I said Tom Hiddleston. Okay, Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> he makes an appearance as both Bruce Banner and his alter ego, the Incredible Hulk. Um. Uh, and why don't we why don't we review the movie? It's time for a monthly millennial movie review, guys. Yeah. Um, I want to go first because I have Thor is very close to my heart. Um, he is my favorite Avenger next to Cap, Steve Rogers. I almost said Steve Harrington. Not gonna lie, <laughs> <laughs> he's another favorite Steve of Anya's. He's a good Captain America replacement if we need a new one. Um, so Thor is my other favorite, um, and he and Cap are very similar. So I know why I like them both, but. Thor, to me, has always been one of the most underappreciated in terms of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, um, because people like to put down his first two solo films, which Millennial Falcon is on record as saying the first Thor is one of the best MCU movies. We all love it. In this house, we love and respect Thor 2011, directed by Kenneth Branagh. Exactly. And I'm just fond of him as a character. Um, The whole idea of, like, a leader learning to become a good man, to become a good king... Um, and his growth as a character has always been very appealing to me. So while I wish people would respect the first Thor more, I'm glad that he's finally getting some like energy and love that he's always deserved from Thor Ragnarok. And I thought it was just absolutely fantastic. Um, I also am a big stand for Taika Waititi, so that does not hurt. Yeah, this is perfect synergy for you. It's yeah, it was everything. It's Disney, Thor, and Taika Waititi. Who right? Like who rocks the best pineapple rompers? I love Taika. He really so does. Much. And I get bisexual Valkyrie, even if they cut the scene out, but I still get it. And I get Kate Blanchett, queer icon of my heart. Kate Blanchett was phenomenal in this movie. Yeah, yeah, and we'll get into that. So I am a big fan, and I am just so proud of Thor. Yay. What about you guys? Um, I thought the movie was excellent. I was blown away by how kinetic and fun it was, how much energy it had, 
basically from the very first shot of the movie. Um, I saw it in 3D the first time. I saw it, I've seen, seen it twice. And the 3D was pretty much what you're expecting when in the Marvel movie 3D, nothing spectacular. Um, so, like, didn't really worry about that. But it was great. The direction was phenomenal. There's shots of Mjolnir that we've never seen before in that very opening scene. I, I love the inclusion of the immigrant song from Led Zeppelin. Uh, it comes in at two very important moments in the film, which were great. Um, the acting was overall phenomenal. I think Chris, Chris Hemsworth has never been better, even though he's always been great as Thor. He's like a certifiable like action star, action comedy star in this uh, movie. Before he was either doing comedy or action with like a little bit of humor. Um, like when Thor shows up in other movies, it's always like fish out of water sort of deal. So it's always it, it was great to see him like almost have like his own comedic agency in the movie. Like he was he was cracking jokes himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thor, uh, uh, Hulk was great uh, overall. Like Cape Blanchett was amazing. Uh, Carl Urban was doing his best as Scourge. It wasn't a lot to work with, and I think he did his best. Um, Tom Hiddleston as Loki was, you know, he was Loki. <laughs> it's really not a lot. I mean, no, he's great. No, I'm saying like he's always he's always good as Loki. Like we respect Tom Hiddleston in this house. Yeah, no, I mean like he wasn't bringing anything new to the role. You know, it was interesting because in the movie <laughs> wasn't bringing itself, anything new. In the movie itself, they address Loki's kind of lack of character development as yeah. being just part of his personality, and I thought that was a good way of sort of almost writing Loki off. Yeah. You could tell or a sort of a retcon, well, not really even retconning him. Like he has so much turmoil in his past, but at the same time he can never really move on beyond like his current mischief god self because yeah. that's just who he is. I, but I, I liked what he was doing in the movie. Mm-hmm. It was just nothing. It was, it wasn't, he wasn't tragic in this one. He was just kind of a mischief god, which mm-hmm. we really haven't seen because he's been like the main villain of the Thor movies in this, but in this case, he's, he's, his, he's his actual brother in this. And I like that. It was a, a nice change of pace. Yeah. We're going to talk about brothers because they're very important to yes. me. Um, but yeah, so overall, I like I love the movie. I think you know the, pl- the plot was pretty basic and simple. I do like what they did with Asgard at the end of the movie. We'll t- we'll get into that. Um, I liked that change, um, and I thought the uh, the bringing of Ragnarok was unexpected. Uh, the way you know, because like when they first announced Thor Ragnarok, it was very serious, mm-hmm. and we were like, oh, so it's going to be another the Dark World. Mm-hmm. But then they brought in Taika Waititi, and we know from his other movies that the movies are his movies are always fun and energetic so I was like how are they going to do the end of the world or the end of Asgard with Taika Waititi and the way they did it was I think it was excellently executed um but like the overall like like it, it was it was well written in the sense that you could tell when the act breaks were and you knew the first act the second act and the third mm-hmm. and it wasn't too complicated it was very straightforward which I liked it uh, but and the, and then all the surprises. The I mean, the strength from the movie is the dialogue and the characters, mm-hmm. which I like the most. Yeah. And your thoughts, HT? We haven't gotten to you yet. Sorry, I was no, it's okay. Going along. Uh, so Thor Ragnarok is a rollicking good time. <laughs> <laughs> it was. All right, this is gonna sound like a criticism, but it's not in any means. I'll fight you. It's it's exactly what I expected it to be. So yeah. I'm sort of an exception to this. Fair. Yeah. I'm sort of an exception to sort of the thoughts here because I 
went to see Thor Ragnarok really late after a month a month after its release essentially. I went to see it yesterday and Thor Ragnarok came out in early November, which is when I was out abroad in Thailand. So I kind of had sort of this built up expectation mm-hmm. of like everyone talking about how great it was and how it really um how it was a per- perfect synergy of Taika Waititi's own talents with the sort of untapped potential of Thor as like a comedic character. And it really just like lived up to that. That's exactly what I expected it to be. And I had a great time and I laughed. And I am so happy that Chris Hemsworth is finally being realized as a great comedic actor because he's so yes. funny and he's great. And I think that, I don't know though, if this is going to be the defining uh, characterization of Thor because it changes so much from movie to movie and I like that I like this characterization I just don't know whether we'll see it continued for the rest of the films I think we will because mm-hmm. if you look at the Thor evolution of his character it's been yes he's gone through changes but I think they've been changes were like character changes mm-hmm. like obviously the first Thor it's a, it's all about his character and growing going from you know cocky young up, upcomer to like a more mature hero, mm-hmm. and then the dark the the dark world is reckoning with his own future. And you know, does he want to be king or does he want to be on Earth? And then he chooses Earth. And then there wasn't a lot of Age of Ultron stuff and or like Avengers. Like he didn't get a lot of characters. Well, that's not really what I meant in terms of development. In terms, oh, I meant in characterization. I meant characterization. Oh. So like, um, it's more of a self-serious, very Shakespearean characterization that we see in the first two Thor movies, mm-hmm. and then in the Avengers movies, this was actually kind of close to what we see in Ragnarok. He's sort of the, um, the kind of fish out of water comedic jovial. relief. Yeah, the jovial comedic relief, um, and then we. We finally see him as like the center of that movie, in sort of like in line with the Avengers characterization. So I mm-hmm. think like it could no, be. I see yeah, where you're going. I <laughs> thought you were talking about character development. No, I mm-hmm. thought, and like the like in- inconsistent character development, kind of mm-hmm. like what we've seen with Steve Rogers in the Avengers movies yeah. versus the Russo brothers movies. Right. No, I think the character development will stick here. But um, yeah, I liked it. Um, I thought. <laughs> I mean, I like that there are so many jokes at the same time. I wondered if there was a breaking point for the amount of jokes that that there were. And it made me think a little bit about how I felt towards, like, Guardians of the Galaxy versus this movie. And I was like, where do I really draw the line in terms of, like, how glib a movie is versus how earnest it is? Because, like, one of my favorite things about Wonder Woman is that there's, there are, you know, is an organic amount of humor and everything like that, but it's much, very much about being earnest and everything. Like, not everything is followed by a joke or a wink. So, I don't know. It's kind of interesting coming into the movie after it's gotten so many rave reviews and be like, I liked it. That's what I expected. And I really like Taika Waititi's um, talent for making these really heartfelt uh, movies about uh, parenthood and loss and all those kind of things and giving it a sort of gallows humor sometimes. Um, but... I don't know. It's just kind of like I felt like it wasn't. I felt like sometimes I was betraying my own specific preferences for superhero movies. Cause like I've had my own like problems with like the glib nature of Marvel movies, and I'm like, am I giving in to like how glib Marvel is? But maybe I'm just trying to have a good time. Maybe Thor is just is about having a good time, and that's yeah, fine. I want to. I mean, I I want to say because I think it's the best Marvel movie this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it far outshines both Guardians and Spider Man. Um, I mean, we all know how I feel about Guardians. Mm-hmm. Um, and love to it. Your com- 
<clears throat> I love it. It's the best Marvel movie ever. Um, no, it's not. It is one of the worst, in fact. Um, but to your comparison point, I think the difference here is that, at least for me, in Thor, the emotional beats feel earned mm-hmm. in a way that they're completely not in Guardians. Um, Guardians' weight doesn't... It's not. It's not earned, and it doesn't actually have weight. Um, and in Thor, I feel like it does, partially because of the past we see with Thor. We've seen his relationship with Odin and Loki. And so Odin's passing for both of them, for me, the weight was there. And I think also, like, Taika Waititi is glib, and he does have, like, you know, a joke a minute sort of thing. But in those emotional moments, like Thor and Loki in the elevator, or Thor becoming king at the end and seeing Loki again, those moments felt very emotionally weighty to me, mm-hmm. even with the jokes. Like, yeah. I was able to both have that emotional resonance and laugh. And I think, for me, Taika Waititi really accomplishes that in a way <clears throat> that James Gunn does not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with Anya that the jokes never out, outstayed their welcome. I always thought that it was always fun. Like, the moment where he was trying to get Tessa Thompson's Valkyrie to, like, join the team, mm-hmm. and the ball, like, smacked him in the head. Yeah. I thought that was a little much, but I think that... It didn't. It didn't. It didn't go on. It wasn't like a three beat of that. It right. was just one. It was a one off of that joke, and then moved forward. I think the only time when I was when I thought that's a little too many jokes was uh, at the end when um, the Revengers were facing off against uh, Hela, mm-hmm. and they're on the Rainbow Bridge, and um, they're talking about like what they should do, and Loki says, "I'm not doing uh, get help again," Uh-oh. and that for me I was just like, well. That didn't really make sense because obviously you're not going to do get help. And it was mm-hmm. just like a joke for the sake of being a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really add to the conversation. But like otherwise, like I think, yeah, for the most part, the jokes worked for me. I think it was like, I mean, it was a, it was a nice callback, but I understand like it might have been like it was unnecessary. Yeah. It didn't need to be there. Mm-hmm. But I, I get that. Yeah. So let's get into the specifics of Thor Ragnarok. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the characters because they are really the selling point of Thor Ragnarok, mm-hmm. especially because we've seen this journey for the past six years yeah. now. Uh, so, Anya, please tell us about your fave. Oh, my gosh. Thor. Um, Thor, I love him. He's like a puppy um, who becomes a good boy. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> you should tweet that at Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> You're such a good boy, Chris At Chris Hemsworth. No, stop. <laughs> Okay, so Thor. We we know I love him. Um, I love his growth as a hero and a leader. Um, There's a moment near the end of the movie. um, I know Willoughby also wants to talk on this, so Willoughby can jump in. But um, after Ragnarok happens, they're on the ship. um, And we can talk about this because essentially the Asgardians are now refugees. They are refugees. Which Mm -hmm. is interesting. It's not even that uh, implicit. It's very explicit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But he walks through the crowd up to his seat at the front of the ship in front of all his brethren and he becomes king essentially and they play Patrick Doyle's score from the first movie. Yeah. And it is so emotional. I a couple I think during our our uh below the line episode of the uh of the Millennial Falcon we talked about composers and I specifically pointed out Patrick Doyle's score for Thor and how emotional it <clears throat> it, it is and like the like personal like uh like memories I have t- tied to it um, and then when that movie was when they played that sc- that main theme when he's crawling up to the, or not crawling walking up to the to the 
throne, or in this case, the captain's chair of the ship, I got emotional because I, I got goosebumps. Every time I see that, I get goosebumps because it's just it's, it's such a full circle moment that we saw in like Iron Man 3 where you have this, this character arc. Like the very first scene of Thor for of like with Thor in it is him like accepting the crown. But obviously that was derailed in the rest of the movie. That's the inciting incident for the rest of the movie. And so the, the the Thor trilogy has been about him reckoning with being a leader and being a king. Mm-hmm. And that final moment, we see it. Uh, yeah, and I think we see that he is a good man and a good leader. Yeah, he wasn't ready um, for the throne at the beginning of Thor, but now he is. Yeah, yeah, and so that made me happy. I also love him and Loki. Um, I love Loki, and I love Tom Hiddleston's interpretation of Loki. Um, I will disagree a little bit that he's static, um, only because that scene in the elevator really got me when Thor is talking about how, like, Loki was everything to him. Mm-hmm. And you see this look on Loki's face. That that's what he's been wanting to hear, like, his whole life. I mean, the thing is, Loki tried to commit genocide in the first film because he be part of Asgard. And he so desperately wanted to be Thor's brother and Odin's son, like, genuinely, not just adopted. He literally tried to kill the Frost Giants to do this. So, to me, like, Loki's, like, desperation to belong to Asgard, fighting with his, like, constant mischievousness and, like, pushing back against them and, like, screwing them over is so interesting to me. And so that moment of Loki, like, hearing those words from Thor um, and having kind of to reckon with those feelings was really good for me. And then at the end, when Loki is on the ship and Thor doesn't think he's really there, and then he is... And brothers are back together, and I yeah. just really love brothers. That was a good moment. I yeah. like that Loki had some nice, like, real moments, and not just either mischievousness or, like, villainy. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, besides the early on in the first Thor movie, he's always been a little mischief guy. Yeah. I like I like his characterization. Um, I wouldn't say it's static either, but I think it's, like, it's purposefully unpredictable just because that's the nature yes. of his character. That is the nature of him. He should be, exactly. yes. He's a chaos god. Yeah. Yeah. And I like I him and Thor's relationship was one of my favorite parts of Thor Ragnarok. And it's always the through line of all the Thor movies too, like the kind of the thing that you can always rely on to be the most interesting part cuz really Thor is made more interesting by the people around him. Mm-hmm. Um, except in this movie, in the case where he's just hilarious. He's the most interesting man. He's in the most room. interesting. And that's the, that's the amazing thing about Thor Ragnarok because they made him interesting and compelling more so than. I I will. Anya's probably going to kill me about this more so than like in the past movies. Um, well, The Dark World, I think, is the worst Thor movie. Yeah. Yeah, and The Dark that, World. Is that bad. highlights all the, all the errors that, mm-hmm. that Thor. The first Thor might have had, like, you know, that are there, but they're not as pronounced as they are in the second movie. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys were talking about sort of his grappling with the throne and whether and how he doesn't know if he wants to lead or if he's a good leader. And I wish, this is not the fault of Thor Ragnarok, I just wish that we'd seen it more on screen Mm -hmm. in the past Thor movies. It's very implied. It's implied. And, like, in in Thor The Dark World, they kind of just, like, gloss over it they're like he's just doing his hero thing and you know this is a very dire circumstance of the universe maybe ending but they don't really talk about his own personal sort of arc mm-hmm. and here they, they i like that thor ragnarok brings it back 
uh, in the midst of this sort of world-ending yeah. um, thing. But even then, it's like it's very um, isolated because, as they keep saying throughout the movie, that's a family matter. So, oh, the Asgard yeah. drone and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I do like the inclusion. I like I like that they brought in Hela, who it was you know the firstborn from a darker time in Asgard's history, and it makes it 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 makes uh, Thor view his father in a different light mm-hmm. in, 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 in a similar light that Loki has seen his father uh, Odin since the first movie mm-hmm. since he discovered that he's not an Asgardian but in, in fact uh, half a frost giant and so Thor is kind of like oh he, he kind of had to take off his rose colored glasses although I, he's never had a perfect relationship with his father either mm-hmm. but it's definitely more so like oh no my dad did some bad things when he was younger. Yeah. I think in the comics, Hela is not a sister of Thor, but that was an that was a revision they made to the movie. I don't know. Which I think works. Yeah. It, make, it makes it much tighter and much more cohesive mm-hmm. uh, thematically. Yeah. So I like that. And um, like, Kate Blanchett. Like, uh, with the, the roof, mm-hmm. the ceiling painting. Yeah. That was really cool. That was a really good moment. And I, Kate Blanchett is amazing in this movie i mean she's amazing in every movie granted but like she really nails down like the surreal ethereal goth queen sort of characterization and she does it with just like this grace and elegance and this horrifying sort of intimidation about it and she just like she killed it i love it breaking mjolnir was such a power move it is (laughs) and she never like let you know, lets down from that either. It's not just like, oh, this is a one and done thing. She still like keeps maintains her her uh, terrifyingness. If that's a word. that's not a word, but I can't think of the word for it. <laughs> um, yeah, so she what? gives it like a hundred and ten percent. She completely commits to like this character, mm-hmm. which I love. I thought her and Tessa Thompson were the big like out Stand-ups. like yeah. outstanding um, newcomers. And- yeah. Um, Speaking of Tessa Thompson, why don't we talk about Valkyrie? Yes, I like. I love her. I love Valkyrie a She's lot. Great. Um, I love the inclusion of her backstory and how it didn't feel shoehorned in, and how it tied into Hela again. Exactly. So I liked how everyone had their own demons to play with in their own arc. Uh, Valkyrie with her failure of her sisters and like her cowardice and running away. Uh, Thor with his uh, newfound understanding of his father and sort of his own grappling with the crown loki with his constant sort of insecurities uh hella being the, the odd step sister out essentially and like realizing that uh her father like completely just wrote her out of, mm-hmm. of history yeah she they all have their own understandable motivations and that's i think what makes this movie so work so well because the characters all come from really earned like or understandable places and uh you know even though there is even there are quite villainous like hella's an outright villain Mm -hmm. it still is somewhat she's some she's somewhat sympathetic she's understandable everyone here is understandable except for maybe uh scar whatever his name was the the demon at the end who actually brought ragnarok oh um i can't remember yeah i forget his name but mr plot device (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, the bringer of Ragnarok. Yes, exactly. Um, but everyone else, like every character, was so fully fleshed out. Even the side characters, and uh, yeah, like we see Hulk with a personality because mm-hmm. he's like he's been Hulk for two years, so he's got like the mind of like a two year old, five year old, mm-hmm. and it's it's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got his own motivations. He wants to say he loves the power and glory of being like the grand champion. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I do wish we had actually gotten to see Valkyrie's, like, explicit queer identity on screen. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I know why, mm-hmm. but, like, and there was an implication yeah. in the scene. It was very much similar to Wonder Woman. Yeah. In that, like, when her comrade fell and died, she had, like, that anguished look. And so it was very similar to Wonder Woman being like, oh, they were lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, I was but... disappointed in the fact that they tried to push it. Like, I would have liked if they didn't say anything at all and that I could, you know, come to the conclusion myself so that maybe they could build on it later. Also that the, that they that they announced that they deleted a scene mm-hmm. from it. Yeah. And then... And then, the, like, we're already disappointed that it's not in the movie. Yeah, I just feel like whenever Disney or Marvel or any big uh, tent studio uh, tries to say, like, oh, we have representation, we have queer representation in our movie, it feels like they're sort of patting themselves on the back from making a very small uh, well, this the Beast different. Is... This, for me, feels different than, like, Beauty and the Beast, yeah. say, because I feel like Taika Waititi did it out of a genuine desire to like stay yeah. true to Valkyrie's character and have representation and this was definitely more of a studio move. Yeah. No, yeah, um, I, I I agree with that. I think that like it makes sense within the context of the movie. I just don't like that the studio made kind of a big deal yes. out of it. That's like the thing that rang sort of uh that sort of rubbed me the wrong way. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um and I mean I think this is something that I grapple with all the time, but like explicit representation is extremely important, especially when it comes to queer identity. Like I don't want to Dumbledore every character who is queer because that does a disservice to a lot of queer fans. Um, and so it would be nice to hopefully get some more explicit um, exploration of Valkyrie's sexual identity. Um, so let's do a uh, wrap up on the characters before uh, we move on to the plot. Uh, do you guys want to make a shout out to... Uh, Oh, oh, yeah, Jeff Goldblum. Shout but, uh, out to Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, how are you not going to talk about your boy? I loved, your I mean, favorite person. I love Jeff Goldblum. I love Jeff Goldblum, and I like that he. they basically gave him no character direction at all. They just pointed a camera at him and just, like, go nuts. What if Jeff Goldblum was an evil warlord of a, of a gladiator planet? That's what their, like, pitch was. Yeah, what if Jeff Goldblum was just, like, randomly just st- such put in this movie and no one questioned it. That was essentially it. And I loved it. He was just fantastic and weird and quirky in the perfect Jeff Goldblum way. And I don't think there's really much to be said about it except that I love Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) And he was a star. Yeah, he was very good. Mm -hmm. So why don't don't we move on to plot? Oh, I do want to do a quick shout out um, to Matt Damon, Luke Hemsworth, and Sam Neill. I didn't realize it was Matt Damon until like the second viewing. I I saw Matt Damon immediately. Time I couldn't we tell. It, we were like, "Oh my god, that's Matt Damon!" And we freaked out. Yeah, I couldn't tell it was Luke Hemsworth. I I remember I I thought saw, it might have a stump double. Yeah, I saw Matt Damon immediately, but then I was like, "Who's the guy playing Thor? He looks familiar." Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah, he's I Luke. didn't really recognize Luke Hemsworth because he's Luke, and, and they made him look him. like Thor a lot. Yeah, yeah, but Sam Neill is Odin. Yeah, I, yeah, I, Sam Neill. I that was he was the most recognizable right away. Like I knew that was Sam Neill, and I was like, "Oh, that's fun." And then the second time around, I was like, "Is that Matt Damon?" And I googled it. I was like, "That's Matt Damon." Yeah, and then totally Matt Damon. I thought and I then, thought maybe they chose like a stunt double for Thor, mm-hmm. but then when they were like, "It's Luke Hemsworth," I was like, "I get." He's the lesser known Hemsworth. Yeah, and then also just a second shout out to Taika Waititi's character, Korg. Yes. He is hysterical. And Taika Waititi is delightful. And I love Korg. Yeah, Korg Korg is an unsung hero. 
I love Taika. I want to see his face on the big screen again because I have a, a massive crush on him. <laughs> yes. Yes. So why don't, we, right, why don't so we actually move on to plot Let's now. go to plot. <laughs> so what did you guys think of the plot? Willoughby, go first. So I was talking earlier how it's kind of, it's very simple. And I don't mean that in a negative way. Just it's very straightforward. And it's, it's a it's a form of the hero's journey where you know the hero is thrown away and he has to get back to his like main planet land and like reclaim the throne which is very cool and very basic and that's great it wasn't too complicated it wasn't you know it it was the end of the world but it wasn't the end of the universe mm-hmm. i think i think the dark world took too many chances and too many and it went too big mm-hmm. um too soon with the Thor franchise and just with the Marvel universe itself because like oh it's going to be the end of the world as we know it but with the with Thor Ragnarok you know it seemed you know it was kind of cool that it was like put, pushed away and then brought back at the end the actual Ragnarok mm-hmm. the actual des- destruction of Asgard and I really thought it was a very interesting move to actually destroy Asgard mm-hmm. it, because that is that, that is essentially the destruction of S.H.I.E.L.D for the Captain America movies, which is like this breaking down of basically Thor's homeworld. Like he doesn't have a planet. It's anymore. a huge part of his of his identity. He's Thor he's a, of Asgard. He's an Asgardian. Yeah, like they are all Asgardians, mm-hmm. um, and it is no longer there. It also, this was the first time I realized that Asgard wasn't a planet. It was just like a, it was like a plane. It was an actual like, well, like thing. Yeah, Asgard is um, Asgard is one of the nine realms of the World Tree. Yggdrasil. Uh, oh no, I'm very one. familiar with the nine realms of of Yggdrasil. Yggdrasil. But what I didn't realize was that it was just literally like the city. Like I didn't like because like oh. the, the Dark World made it seem like it was more. It was bigger. It was vast. Yeah, it was vast yeah. and actually had like planes. It had and more mountains. like and land those mountains are still there. But what. I didn't realize what it was that it was just that. Yeah, that's that's my take. That's what I was like, and it was like when it blew up, I was like, "Oh, that was it." Mm-hmm. That was, it was literally just like this plane. Yeah, yeah. literally a plane. <laughs> literally a plane. I was like, "Oh, okay, so that's literal." Because <laughs> um, like Vanaheim and Midgard are obviously like real planets mm-hmm. and, and part of the, part of the, the world tree, but like you know, so it was that was interesting. And now they're refugees, and now they're going back to Earth, and setting up for infinity war and i thought that that it was a very interesting way of bringing thor back into the main like because he went off at mm-hmm. the end of age of ultron we didn't see what he was doing mm-hmm. and so it was very fascinating to see that they took the chance and they destroyed it basically a main a main Base. setting of the of the marvel movies and the marvel comics like yeah. you know asgard stories are all over the place definitely leading up to the sort of game-changing infinity war mm-hmm. uh, yeah is going to be coming up soon. Yeah, like, I do wonder if we'll see Chris Hemsworth much more in the MCU. Yeah, I, mean, um, I know a lot of the like the core, like the first core uh, group, their contracts are kind of coming up. Yeah, and I wonder about Chris Hemsworth staying on. Yeah, this was um, you could kind of tell that this was Tom Hiddleston's last movie because his contracts run up too. Is he not going to be in Infinity War? I thought he was in Infinity War. Oh, Infinity. is he? Okay. Yeah, he's in the poster for Infinity War. Never mind then. But you could kind of tell that they're wrapping up his storyline. They also said that for dark, the Dark World, too. Yes, that's so, true. Tom Hiddleston's just too popular. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's not going anywhere soon. But we could see, like, the wrap-up of Thor and Loki mm-hmm. in Infinity War. Like, I feel like they'll have to, like, end so many storylines. Yeah, like, he already lost his eye and Mjolnir. Yeah. And they've come to a really 
sort of interesting place with with Thor and Loki, where they've come to an understanding. And I think it's only it's almost at the end of the arc. So, yeah, like Loki's back to being like almost one of the good guys. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the Barbosa character. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I love Barbosa. Yeah, <laughs> I don't watch Pirates anymore, but I really love Barbosa. Yeah, but he's that character. He was villain yeah. in the first movie, good guy in the rest of the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the plot I I liked it. it wasn't too it wasn't too complex and it wasn't too bad i mean it wasn't bad yeah. I, I liked it what do no, you guys think i agree with you i think the, the fact that the plot was simple allowed the characters which were the strong selling points of the movie to shine mm-hmm. and actually while watching it it kind of reminded me of the first the plot of the first thor movie mm-hmm. you know he, thor and his whole fish out of water sort of storyline where he is cast out and is trying to make his way back home yeah um and in the first case, in the first movie, it's about proving himself that he's worthy to come back home. Um, but in this case, it's about coming back home to save his home planet or his home plane. So there is like a nice sort of um, parallel uh, parallelism there, a symmetry, as well as a development, which I liked. Um, and yeah, I, I, the plot, I feel like, you know, I'm not a huge plot girl anyways. Uh, I'm more about characterization, so there wasn't really much for me to write home about. Um, I did like Sakaar a lot. I and I'm at first it was kind of like, oh, we're really gonna spend our, all our time on Sakar, but I like that it was very simple between just these two settings. It was Sakar or it was um, Asgard, and like briefly a little bit of Midgard too. The Norway scene was really gorgeous. Oh, it was beautiful. The Norway scene is amazing. So the Norway scene I heard was um, <clears throat> added a little after the fact, like during reshoots. Oh, yeah. And it was perfect. It was like a really good choice to do that. If you remember from the yeah. first trailer, uh, Hella. Hella- Breaks yeah, she just Mjolnir Mjolnir on Midgard in what I'm assuming. I think is in New York, York, yeah. Um, and what I really love the inclusion of Norway because it sets up that that's probably like that land. Yeah, that's where, where Odin's like this could be home, mm-hmm. and that was yeah. It ties powerful. up. It ties up Odin's arc really well because that's like a really beautiful place for him to, and really like poignant place for him to say goodbye to his sons, and also it just. It, you know, the whole connection to Thor and Norway and everything like that. So I like that. Yeah. It was a really nice inclusion. Yeah. Like when Doctor Strange said, oh, he's in Norway. I was like, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I really like, side note, I like the inclusion of Doctor Strange in this. Yeah. Even though he was a little out, he was a little like place, like he didn't have to be in the movie. Yeah. But I'm glad he was. He worked. I, yeah. I have like mixed feelings towards Doctor Strange, but I think he worked fine in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um. I liked Odin a lot in this character in this movie. Same, he um, was really good. We didn't mention him in the characters, but he worked so well uh, with his with every like scene that he was in, and every time like Thor had an existential crisis, essentially, and like tapped into his thun- his lightning thunder powers. Yeah, and I I just like that. I don't know what the what that technique would be called, where like they zoom in really fast, but it's kind of like stuttered. Oh well, I I know that. Um, I mean, Hitchcock uses it all. The vertigo effect. The vertigo effect. Yeah. I guess it's like a a it's version. It. It's like a subset of the vertigo effect. I like that a lot, and it worked really well um, in terms of just like complementing uh, or like uh, telling, depicting uh, Thor's mindset. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I like the plot. It was good. Um, Sometimes the plot would get lost for the jokes, I think. Uh, that was kind of my, yeah, like my complaint from earlier. So I was just like, where is this going? But Yeah, like I feel like for the most part we knew that Thor just kept trying to get home. Yeah. So it was simple yeah. and it was good and driven. Um, and yeah. I have to say, um, I was, I have to be honest, I was dreading Hulk in this film. Because mm-hmm. um, I'm not a Hulk fan and I also no, didn't want him 
I didn't want him to detract from uh, Thor and like his mythology because he is one of my favorites. Um, and while I don't think that Hulk actually added anything to this movie, like I think this movie could have existed exactly as it did without Hulk. Um, he didn't like stand out as much as I was fearing he would. Um, however, he did seem more like a practical inclusion than anything else because it was a a way to do the planet hulk storyline without actually making a planet hulk movie mm-hmm. and b like you said earlier with thor getting into infinity war this was a way for hulk to get back to the infinity war storyline yeah like so it seemed just kind of like a oh hulk's in space at the end of age of ultron we need to like get him back somehow <laughs> and it was like oh like put him with thor and they can both get back and i was like okay and like it made that it made that choice <laughs> retroactively better yeah because it brought thor it brought it gave us a planet hulk storyline yeah i like the rapport between hulk and thor i between both hulk and thor and hulk and bruce banner yeah so i that back and forth when he's trying to prove that oh no i like you best or i like hulk best i like that that two beat and Mm -hmm. i i enjoyed his inclusion like i did think it would be more of sort of a buddy comedy like judging by the trailers but i'm also happy that it wasn't so much because it was about thor and it wasn't like how captain america civil war turned into a tony and a steve movie or an avengers movie. or an avengers movie essentially this was definitely thor's movie through and through and uh hulk was a good sort of um supporting character in that mm-hmm. um which i liked i they, liked him they did a, they made thor from like the animated tv shows and that we haven't seen in the movies because the movies even the ones like the original hulk and the Edward Norton Hulk movie, they never have Thor speaking. They mm-hmm. never have him like actually interacting with the characters as much as they do here. Wait, which do I you really... mean Hulk? Sorry? Do you mean Hulk? Yeah, he said Hulk. I said Hulk. I'm, the first one in the 2000s and then the yeah, Edward Norton Hulk. Yeah, Thor doesn't speak to a lot of people. Oh, did I and say then... Thor? I think you yeah. said Hulk. Oh, well. Either way, I'm, I meant Hulk. <laughs> okay, okay. I was very confused. Sorry. Okay. Yeah. No, I meant <clears throat> I mean, he doesn't... He never speaks he says hulk smash and that's it what i liked about this is that they brought him into like an actual speaking role which gave hulk some personality i have a question yeah um you know how there was sort of a big tension uh introduced since like in the latter half where bruce was like if i turn back into hulk i might not come back and right before he turns into hulk for the last time he like crashes into the rainbow bridge and looks like he breaks a lot of bones in his body yeah, yeah, yeah. and which is a very strange beat for me because i remember like in previous movies where bruce like tried to kill himself he would you know shoot the the other guy would spit the bullet back out right. so i thought i thought that was strange because you know the hulk would be there to protect bruce from bodily harm which I is not the case the, here that's the joke it was a the, joke but it was weird to me it was, yeah and then it also was strange to me because we didn't see bruce come back so i was like did bruce die and is hulk the permanent body no. now well i mean he might i mean that was that's always like the the jekyll and hyde yeah stick with hulk so he might come back but yeah. i mean no it was just strange i think like the the joke played strangely for me because it felt like an implication that, like, maybe Bruce died and maybe he'll never come back. <laughs> no, I don't think he died because I think he's, we saw him moving. Yeah. And then the joke was, I think the, it was purely a joke, but it does have weird implications. Yeah. That was just a strange beat for me. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys want to move on to themes? Yes, because so, yeah. there's some really good themes in this. Yeah. Uh, Willoughby, why don't, you, why don't you go ahead? So the idea that a home isn't just a place but a people is a really interesting and lovely theme that we haven't really seen in these movies before. Mm-hmm. It's something that I think Taika Waititi brought because, you know, being a person of color himself and, like, having his own identity separate than, like, the rest of, like, 
you know, so, you know, like white people in is very, he, you know, he brings like that sense of like representation and like, uh, like, like different culture to this movie. And like, they made Asgard more of, they, they showed Asgard more as a people than like a place. Mm-hmm. And I really like the idea of like showing like that these are real people and that they have lives. Like the fact that they had, that they are now refugees is a very, very interesting uh, theme that that will be probably um, hopefully showcased in the later movies, mm-hmm. um, and uh, just the idea of like people like coming together to fight off evil. Did the end feel very sort of Star Trek to you? A little bit. <laughs> yeah, like the bit, that, I like that that whole concept of a fam <clears throat> of people being you know. Asgard and be- people being, you know, the home planet from which you come. Uh, and then, like, the ending scene itself very much reminded me of Star Trek, not just because Chris Hemsworth was in the first Star Trek movie. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was a really interesting um, sort of new take on Thor that I really hadn't considered before, the found family in a way. Yeah. Even though he is, it is not, it's not his found family, it's, it's his actual it's family. It's his actual family, his act- actual Asgardians. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they gave... Um, just a sense of of personality to like a culture we haven't really seen in Asgard. Yeah, it's all been royal family built. Stuff. Yeah, no, I think this was a good way of sort of wiping the slate clean um, for Asgard because you know for the past couple movies we've seen where they've not been rife with political corruption, but they're definitely a very decadent society that has probably you know those gold thrones. Yeah, gold, gold, the gold thrones. They definitely are the kind of the end of their the peak of their civilization. So I thought this was an interesting way of him sort of saving, you know, the heart of Asgard at the same time, just like ridding it of all of its uh, vices, essentially. Mm-hmm. Anya, please, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that you guys are saying. Um, I think um, the themes in Thor that have always struck with me, <clears throat> again, is like the idea of leadership and the idea of belonging. Um, not necessarily with like, with, like, family, but with more like a found family, which is one of my weaknesses in narratives. Um, and I like that that was kind of, like, through and through here. Like, it was with every character. You know, we talk a lot about Thor and Loki and, like, Hela being the fact that she was erased from this family's narrative and the narrative of Asgard, but also, like, Valkyrie having once... She is an Asgardian, but she'd sort of rejected that part of her and, you know, decided to confront it again and embrace her Asgardian heritage. And I like that at the end, it was like, she remained both. She remained the Valkyrie she had become after Asgard, while also still being true to her Asgardian culture. And so I really liked that. And I just liked this whole sense of belonging in this film, and like fighting for a sense of belonging and for a people. Um, I also liked that with Heimdall, who, shout out to Idris Elba, because He's always phenomenal. He is a specimen. <laughs> he really is. I was very emotional because Heimdall, um, I have a big thing with, like, again, found families. Um, it's why I like the Purge Anarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Which is literally a movie about adopting and found families. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And Heimdall was just like, I'm going to adopt all these Asgardians and save them. And I was just like, oh, Heimdall. Oh, like so that scene in the woods? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and then he brings them to the hall. It's very, um, very Helm's Deep too. Mm, yeah, it is. Um, it's true. 
Yeah, yeah. I got very Humpty vibes. So, um, so what do so you, yeah. So what do you guys think of the interesting implication? I feel like I was my may have been reading this into this too much, but uh, the fact that Hella was the firstborn, and you know she's a very strong, uh, over um, ambitious woman, and she's the one who gets erased from this sort of narrative and this history, and like all the the inter- implications and sort of like the um, context that goes into strong women uh, vying t- for too much for power. Uh, did you guys get that feeling too? Like, oh, um, like I think it was. I think I, I didn't put. I haven't put that into words, but mm-hmm. I think it's there. Mm-hmm. Like, I definitely that's there in yeah. the movie. But I, um, you, I don't think I, I like put it in, in two and two together. Mm-hmm. But I did. It's definitely there. Yeah, I definitely noticed it, and I think it also reflects just on the patriarchal nature of Asgard mm-hmm. and of Odin as a character. Um, and this, like... He also micromanages the shit out of everything. Yeah. Yeah, and he has done since the first movie. Yeah. Um, and the type of person that Odin is. Um, it's, it's interesting to mention that because I feel in a lesser director's hands, that would have been more egregious and it would have been... It would not have been handled as well, but I feel like Taika Waititi handled it in a way where it was, like, it... I could watch it and it wasn't about her gender. Mm-hmm. It was just about the nature of Hela herself. That's what I was thinking. Um, whereas I feel like in it. a lesser director's hand, it would have been very, like, Odin, the white male, versus, like, the female. Yeah, and then, like, and, Thor and Loki, the new golden boys, who yeah, are superior because um, they're men or whatever. Loki, who can change his gender, so yeah. that's another interesting element. Um, but, so, yeah, so for me, it didn't stand out so much in, like, that sense. Mm-hmm. But I feel that's because Taika Waititi is much more aware of that. Yeah. As a was, director and as a writer. It was handled well enough that it didn't... It was never, like... It, it, like, the the fact that she was a woman was never brought to the... Like, it was never, like, focused. Yeah. But it, was, but it wasn't... It was never erased. For me... So it wasn't a problem for me. Right. I, yeah, think, I don't think it was a problem. Yeah. I think it was... Yeah, it was always about, like, Hela's... Uh, ambitious. Ambitious nature and her, like... Uh, sort of destructive nature as well. But I thought that it added an interesting layer to her performance in that, you know, she was sort of uh, justifiably uh, angry and... Yeah. Um, no, she has good emotion, yeah. uh, good motivation. Yeah, so I think that was like an interesting layer um, to her sort of motivations, yeah. And I like I liked that. Like, that might have just like been my interpretation kind of because, like, she was justified, but at the same time, that is no use... For that is no excuse for you know wreaking havoc and killing cool all these people. Of still murder. Exactly. Exactly. So. Well, and I think it's interesting also to compare that to Valkyrie, who has also turned her back on Asgard, mm-hmm. but for different reasons, and she channels it differently as a woman and as a part of a all female like warrior team. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's interesting to compare the two, um, which I really like, and it's also this idea that like. I think we've touched on this a little bit before, but, like, you know, there are some unfortunate implications in movies with, like, queer characters or people of color or women as, like, villains and as bad people. And it's, A, depending on how you write them, and, B, it's not that, like, these characters can't be bad guys. It's the fact that there's a lack of representation at all and that, like, only seeing bad representation 
is what's what the problem is. But I feel like Hella, like you're saying, HT is like she defies that almost mm-hmm. in her characterization. And Valkyrie and, was able; she's able to be a drunk, and she's able to be like, like not the the best person. Yeah, and and it's she's handled well. Like mm-hmm. the like yeah. the writing of her, the, her character was written well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, interesting to compare her to Sif as mm-hmm. well, who I missed in this. Where, film. Yeah, I wish Sif could have returned. I would have really liked to have Sif and Valkyrie yeah. in the same scene. NBC's because... blind spots in a fourth season, though, so that's why. Oh, oh that's yeah, it why. Was, it was scheduling conflicts. Mm. Yeah. But I missed her because I love yeah. Sif. Like, I didn't have a problem with the characterization of women in this uh, movie. No, and In fact, I think that like, yeah. there are some of the best roles were given to women, like Valkyrie, Hela, um, the character who was from... Uh, the actress who was in uh, Hunt for the Hunt Little for the People, people. Yeah. yeah, and uh, Jeff Goldblum's uh, the Grandmaster's right hand woman. Yeah, so that like, was really funny. Yeah, I, yeah, no, they were all great. They were all really good. So I and have I no liked, complaints with them. I liked Valkyrie and Hulk's very Mighty Joe Young relationship. Mm-hmm. I like oh that God. too. That is Mighty Joe Young. It yeah. was it was completely Charlie Theron and Mighty Joe Young. Was Charlie Theron and Mighty Joe Young? She's the main. She's the lead character. Oh, I haven't seen the movie in forever. With uh, with Bill Paxton. I've never seen Mighty Joe Young. It's been I love that film. It's been like 15 yeah. years. <laughs> um, it's very free willy, but, but yeah, I really, I really like that Valkyrie was able to be like, you know, you know, like a drunk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Flawed, but flawed. Still, that's the yeah, term. They flawed. were flawed. Yeah. It was flawed, but not a fl- not flawed writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what do you guys think of the the new sort of status for Asgard being refugees? What do you think that, uh, how do you think that leads into Asgard's sort of development over the, and its depiction over the past three movies? Uh, I think I said, I, th- I said earlier that I, I, I like it. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of this change because it's different and it, sh- it showcases um, a theme in our world today that's uh, like the refugee crisis in Europe. It's an interesting parallel. Um, it's, I wonder how much people in Asgard know that Thor was the one to set off Ragnarok, you know? Yeah. But either way, Hela was going to take over. So it mm-hmm. was the lesser of two quote unquote evils. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think, I definitely think that they're going to build a settlement on that land in Norway, and I'm excited. I hope they get we see some of that in Infinity War and slash future movies. Yeah, and there may be some tension introduced too because, you know, as Thor was saying, love me on Earth, but he wasn't aware of the Sokovia Accords and the new tension that are between mm-hmm. the uh, world governments and superheroes. And just the and bringing, you know, I'm not sure how many if Asgard's, you know, if Asgardians other than Thor and Loki have magic powers. But, like, the idea of bringing, like, a race of aliens mm-hmm. to Earth. Yeah. There are definitely like, going to be a lot more more consequences yeah. than they... Which than they I'm expect. excited for because I think we could always use more political intrigue mm-hmm. in the Marvel movies. And, you know, Winter Soldier was a perfect encapsulation of that. So, and the Russo brothers have handled that kind of stuff very well. Mm-hmm. Even if Civil War wasn't as good as Winter Soldier, I, I like the Sokovia stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. So... Is there anything else you guys want to add about our Thor Ragnarok review? No, just now I love all the little Easter eggs and callbacks. Mm -hmm. Yes, and let's rate it. All right, so, Anya, what would you give Thor Ragnarok out of five stars? I would give it a 4.5. Five out of five for Willoughby. 
I'll give it a four out of five. So it's gonna be four point five. Yep. So the mill- <laughs> I can't do that. The <laughs> millennial falcon gives Thor Ragnarok four point five out of five stars, which is awesome. Yay! Is that our highest rated? I think so. Review, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Wait, what would we? What did we give Wonder Woman? What did we give? I Wonder can't Woman? remember. I can't remember either. We must have given it like a high rating because I don't think that movie didn't have any flaws. It had kind of. Some I mean, flaws. it did. It, it have did 4. have flaws. It yeah. might have been four point five. Yeah, or four. <laughs> All right, All let's right. move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. All right, Willoughby, why don't you go first? I'll go first because you guys have a longer really like than I do. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the new Animal Crossing mobile app that came out on Friday. Or, yeah, this this week. Um, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, if you guys have ever played Animal Crossing, it's basically it's very similar to the game. But uh, you're, the campsite man- you're a campsite manager, and you're basically running around like, you know, doing Animal Crossing stuff that you, you would do. You know, you you do requests for these for the animals that visit your camp, and you get money, and you get uh, tools to build Wait, more do stuff. The for animals you. give you money. Yeah, like the anthropomorphic animals of Animal Crossing. Oh, they're anthropomorphic. Okay. Yeah, I've never played Animal Crossing. Oh, okay. So. so basically, you're a human in this anthropomorphic society of animals and other. Oh, I thought you were an animal. No, oh. you're a human. Um, and there's, that's boring. And you can I want to be an anthropomorphic animal. And you can play. You can play with other players. Like you can visit their campsites and you can see what they've done. It's kind of the, that's that cool interactive part of it. Like you can visit like your friends. Like camp, if your friend if you uh, exchange friend codes on Animal Crossing, you can like see what they're they've done to their campsite. It's really cool. Um, and you can like build up. You build up. You get level. You 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 level up and you get more stuff. And you can like build more cool tents or you have a camper. You can trick out. Um, you can actually like, you know, you, you get a loan and you could, you know, cool get cool camper Why stuff. Why would I want a loan when like, I'm not a big video game? It's like a, that's like a thing from the from the loans GameCube stress game. me out already. It's I don't like need 20, more 000, of them in like my like video game world. Twenty thousand coins, but you you know you get coins a very frequent. It's not a it's not a thing. Um, it's not a big deal. It's not a student loan. Um, but the gr- the game is really fun. It's really cute, um, and it's a great like stress reliever. And you don't have to do anything really. You just kind of run around. You get to you can fish. You can fish as much as you want. Uh, you can you know catch bugs. You can catch butterflies, and you know talk to your uh, your animal friends. And they you know you build up friendship levels with them, and you can do you invite them to your campsite and get points for that. So it's really fun. Um, and I'm really happy that it exists because in this time we all need self-care and Animal Crossing is great for that. Are we going to do another episode about it, like Pokemon Go, and then it'll disappear from our consciousness? No, no we got to wait till the new Harry Potter one comes out. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but no, Animal Crossing, I mean, a lot of my friends are on it right now, and there's a lot of memes on Twitter about it. But um, I don't think it's going to have the same impact that Pokemon Go. It might have a longer, like, cause, because Pokemon Go was such, like, a, instant hit mm-hmm. and like had a quick half-life i think animal crossing because it's all it's a slower game mm. just in general and there's a lot of micro transactions um that come into play but you know it's a good game all right 
So why don't you guys? Go? So Anya and I have a shared really like that we agreed on we before do. this movie because we were a little sad that we couldn't review the new Pixar film Coco for our monthly review. Yeah, but scheduling issues. Scheduling issues. So we're gonna do a little mini review of Coco here. Um, yeah. No spoilers. No spoilers. It's such a good movie, guys. It's so good. It's so beautiful and important and breathtaking, and I love it. It has some of the most stunning animation we've seen of Pixar so yes. far, which is saying something because Pixar is at the peak of uh, animation quality, like we've said before in our Pixar episode from last week. Um, and it just it brings to life this sort of culture of Mexico that you haven't really given much thought to outside of what you've seen in like the media or seen like of like stereotypes of it and it's such a genuine approach to Mexican culture and the day of the dead that in no way does it ever feel sort of exploitative or anything it always feels completely genuine and as a person of of color like a Vietnamese American in America even I felt like a connection to it because you know there's a huge the use of bilingualism in the movie and like large families and appreciation of ancestors and that's something that's sort of common with all immigrant families in America and I think that's something that really struck a chord with me and tons of other viewers. Uh, Anya, go ahead and yeah, say your yeah, thoughts. I think what's really great about this movie is that like HT you were able to connect with all of those things in a way that I was not simply because that's not the background that I come from. Um, religion, family, ancestors, it's not a huge aspect of my life. Um, but what really struck a chord with me with this film was just the idea of remembrance and human life and grief, which I think are completely universal themes. And so that's what's great about this movie and Pixar in general is that like they touch on all these things with their really beautiful stories and their characters. And so everyone is able to connect with it on different levels and find different ways to kind of have an emotional resonance. And even as someone who doesn't have kind of those strong ties to culture in that way, like I was still able to appreciate it, mm -hmm. which is really wonderful. And so Coco just, I mean, it just speaks to you in different ways for everyone, but it's, it's so profound. Um, I also have a crush on an animated skeleton named Hector and I just needed to point that out. And it's really, Embarrassing because HG has the excuse that he's voiced by Gal Garcia Bernal, who's wonderful, but who I am mostly ambivalent towards. So I just have a crush on an anime skeleton. I don't really have a voice excuse. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a little bit more of an excuse because I was, I was prepared to crush on him. I was like, Gal Garcia yeah. Bernal is in this movie. I already love him. And he proved himself above and he beyond. Did. I love Hector. He's, he's beautiful. So, his character is just so pure and like tender and wonderful and i just love him mm -hmm. and miguel is delightful also dante is literally my dog <laughs> like dante is my dog ajax and so i was like ajax you're in a movie <laughs> they made a movie about you yeah that's what i love about pixar they're able to take these really specific themes and make them universal and make these yeah. stories able to connect with everyone from all audiences and uh coco is no exception to that uh, i do want to give a plug to a piece i wrote about coco and the a uh, topic I wrote about before, I uh, was speaking, speaking about before, about ancestral worship and seeing myself in this movie. Uh, because of that piece, I was able to uh, convince my cousins to go see it with me, and uh, at the end of it, they all cried. So <laughs> it's a really lovely film. Uh, recommend it, Willoughby. Yes, I also need to say one more thing for theme with Coco is that 
without giving any spoilers away, but like there's a very interesting and very timely thematic relevance of like hero worship and placing placing people on pedestals and it's very interesting how that comes into play these days. Yeah. It's quite dark too. Coco I think is one dark. of the darkest movies, uh, the yes. darkest Pixar movies I've seen recently. Yeah. Um, so get ready, Willoughby. Yeah. Oh, also get ready for the excruciating Frozen short that shows up in front of it. It's 20 um, minutes long. It's the longest 20 minutes of my life. I'm sorry, Anya. Um, HT is wrong. <gasps> it was delightful, and <sighs> Olaf has the funniest line in it. I was laughing so hard. Anya, you're he has the, a line to Anna, and it's hilarious. You're the first person I've heard to like the Frozen short. I like Frozen. No, no, it's I like good. Olaf. That's fine. But, like, everyone on Twitter is it's just, cute. like, calling it, like, the worst thing in the world. I think it's a lot. It's, it's cute. I think a lot of people didn't expect it to be 20 minutes oh. long. Oh, That's I why. knew it was 20 minutes long. What, it's suppo- what, what, I was, what I'm assuming it is yeah. is that it was going to be an ABC special yep. that they just put in the theaters. It definitely felt very shoehorned in. And for me, I just – I knew it was going to be 20 minutes long. Because they usually do, like – a Pixar short. They usually not do a Pixar Disney short. short. This was a case of cross-company centerization that I was not down for. Um, I felt like if they're going to do this story, they should do a longer story as a holiday special. Because Almost like a, another movie. Like another movie. Because there are some like jumps in the plot that felt very like either cliched or just not or where really. where the commercial break should be. Yeah. Or not commercial breaks, but just like not explained. And I was just like. They should just do a longer short and like do it, or just do a longer holiday special on TV and not put it in front of Coco, because I just wanted to see Coco and, again. Did, and there was no Pixar short. No Pixar short. Yikes. We just had this Frozen twenty minute short. Yikes! A Frozen, Whatever. a Frozen short because it was twenty. I don't minutes. even care. I liked it. Was uh, your boy Hans in it? No. Oh, <laughs> well, that's a bummer. But I did rediscover that there is a Frozen young adult book about Hans and Anna's relationship, and Anya. I am so excited to read it. It's going to be trash, and I'm so excited. Anya. Why? You know, All right, I think that wraps up our conversation. That wraps our, up our episode. <laughs> All right, so if you guys have any thoughts on Thor Ragnarok, Animal Crossing, or Coco definitely come chat with us and where can they do that willoughby you can find us on facebook if you search for us there we're also on twitter at falcon podcast our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com you can search for us on soundcloud and listen to us there we're also on itunes and google play so you can listen to us on your phones and don't forget our hundredth episode is coming up and we want to hear from you uh, we want to know what you really like of 2017 in pop culture, and so please send us a voice memo to millennialfalconpodcast at gmail.com or get in contact with us and we'll figure out a way so that we can hear your voice on our 100th episode of the Millennial Falcon. And where can it's they find you guys? Where can they find you guys? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye.